Mr. Cosgrave, just selected by the Doralist Taoiseach, setting off for Oris and Uchtroen shortly after 4 p.m. today. And it was Liam Cosgrave's day at Leinster House, a fairly quiet opening to the 20th Doral. Speeches by Mr. Lynch, Mr. Blaney, and the Taoiseach on the north, and, of course, Mr. Cosgrave's cabinet. In his address, Mr. Cosgrave referred to what the press had called his embarrassment of talent, from which to select his team. I'm glad he said that I've managed to get a place myself. Three members of the team, Mr. Garrett Fitzgerald, incoming Minister for Foreign Affairs, Mr. Justin Keating, incoming Minister for Industry and Commerce, and Declan Costello, incoming Attorney General, are with us in the studio. We'll be talking to them later in the programme. Mr. Cosgrave announced his new cabinet to the Doyle shortly after 6pm this evening. It proved to be very much Mr. Cosgrave's own selection, and after the Doyle rose, Rodney Rice spoke to the new Taoiseach, Liam Cosgrave. Taoiseach, what will be the priorities of the new government The principal priorities are in respect of um, social welfare, uh, to provide increases in pensions, to um, remove value-added tax from food, uh, and to deal with the um, transfer of the present or portion of the present health charges from the rates to the central fund. In other words, you'll be trying to fulfil the promises you made in the coalition programme? Yeah, trying to uh, fulfil the uh, statement of intent which we issued as uh, agreed government policy. Uh, as I've already mentioned, uh, many of the proposals and that, of course, are not capable of being completed immediately, but the priorities will be pensions and uh, other social welfare improvements, um, the removal of value-added tax and uh, the transfer of portion of the uh, health charges from the rates to the central fund. In spite of what <coughs> Fianna Foy was saying tonight, do you, think, do you still think that you have the money to do these things? Uh, I believe so. I, of course, we have to wait and see what the exchequer returns will show, but um, we expect to have certain um, payments uh, available, or at least funds available in respect of saving on agricultural subsidies arising out of EEC membership. And um, there will be a switch, of course, in respect of value-added tax taking, (coughs) excuse me, the value-added tax off food and transferring it, as we said in our statement of intent, to certain other items. Uh, You've just announced your cabinet tonight. Did having a coalition make it any more difficult to choose a cabinet? No, I think that we um, had really no difficulty. Most of the people were self-evident. The uh, appointments, uh, in a great many cases, were anticipated, not all in the offices in which they're in, but uh, they were certainly anticipated. And I suppose, like every government, there were some surprises in it. Do you think many people would be disappointed seeing 12 ministers from Leinster and none from west of the Shannon? Well... uh, no government is selected, I think, on a geographical basis. We have a minister in Cork, we have a minister in Limerick, I suppose he's west of the Shannon, and uh, at least he's certainly a borderline case. We have um, a minister from the Midlands, and uh, the rest are from Leinster, as you say. When you spoke tonight of looking for the cooperation of as many representative groups outside Parliament as possible, what exactly did you mean? Well, we intend to have discussions with trade unions, uh, employer groups or industrial uh, sections, um, vocational groups, representatives of farmers and uh, organised groups of uh, interests in the community, economic or social, who are concerned with 
particular problems and we hope to discuss these problems with them. To turn to the British White Paper, perhaps coming out next week, are you satisfied that the Irish dimension will be fully recognised in it? Well, of course, at this stage we can't say what's in it, what will be in it. Um, we had, as I've already explained, discussions with um, Mr Heath and Foreign Secretary Sir Alec Douglas Hume and uh, the Defence Secretary Lord Carrington on, on certain aspects. Uh, they didn't tell us what was going to be in the White Paper and uh, we hope that... Uh, the terms of the white paper will be generally acceptable, but it's impossible at this stage. Well, presumably they discussed the Irish dimension with you, and to some extent. Well, it's impossible to, as I said, the, the talks were confidential, and uh, we put our point of view, stressing the importance of the Irish dimension and stressing the importance of power sharing, stressing the importance of an adequate Council of Ireland, stressing the importance of a Bill of Rights. Uh, all these points were put to the British government by Mr. Corsh and myself, and. Uh, We'll have to now await uh, the publication of the White Paper. When you <coughs> mentioned these things tonight about power sharing, about the Council of Ireland, um, was that in any way giving any hint that you got a fairly favourable reaction from Mr Heath and well, his colleagues? Well, it impossible. As I said, I, I took no reaction. We had a general discussion, and uh, it's impossible to offer opinion. And he just gave us his view, and we gave him our views. You, you were seem convinced tonight that the Doyle would reassemble on the 28th of March. Do you think that there may be a possibility to recall it earlier after this white paper comes out? No, I'd out? imagine there'd be no recall. It'll meet on the 28th of March. I think that's certain. Liam Cosgrave, <clears throat> the first interview after he was elected by Doyle Aaron as Taoiseach, the sixth leader of an Irish government uh, since 1922, his father being the first. One of the most sensitive ministries in the incoming government is clearly justice. For this post, Mr Cosgrave chose Patrick Cooney, a man widely tipped for high office since his arrival in Doyle Aaron a few years ago. He spoke earlier tonight in the Doyle to Rodney Rice. Pat Cooney, I know it's very early days. You've just been made Minister for Justice, but what would you see as the priority for that department? Well, I think in having regard to the times in which we're living, the priority is to have a look at the security situation and see that um, there's no danger to the state or the liberty of the individual from any groups in this country. That would be the first thing on which I'd have to inform myself. Regrettably, that, that, that it has to be the first thing. Um, equal with that, but in a different sphere, I would have to pay immediate attention to like social reforms in, in the law, particularly in regard to deprived children as affected by the law. Um, there's a certain amount of technical law reform which is urgent uh, our whole system of penology has to be looked at and brought into the 20th century certain steps have already been taken within the Department of Justice in that regard I'd be keen to look at those and expedite them and expand them as much as possible Would you hope to be a reforming minister in a reforming government, is that the idea? I would like to like to look on it in that way All right, yeah. In relation to the, the national security question uh, there has been some debate during the election campaign about whether or not the Offences Against the State Amendment Act, for example, would stay in operation if there was a change in government. Can you say anything about that? Well, uh, every, everyone regretted the necessity for that particular act, and it is only a temporary act. It only remains in force so long as Part 5 of the 1939 Act remains in force, and I have no doubt that when the time and circumstances are right, the new government will look at these things. But do you think the new government will take a perhaps more liberal attitude towards what some people have called repressive legislation than the last government? Well, the attitude of a government to legislation must be informed by the 
conditions pertaining in the country at a particular time, and I really can't answer that until I'm briefed. Some people have said that there's a possibility that the white paper, the British white paper in Northern Ireland, will remove the Northern uh, offences against their, the State Act. Now, if that were to happen, would that put you in any kind of difficulty for having one down here? Well, I, I'm not familiar with what sort of legislation there is in the North. They have, I think it's the Special Powers Act, to call it, which gives wide powers to the executive of arrest and detention, and we haven't anything as wide as that down here. And uh, really, until I'd see the British White Paper and see what's to be, what's to be proposed in it, I, I couldn't say how our attitude here would be affected. You were talking about deprived children. Would you, would you see any necessity to move quickly on the children's courts and this type of thing? Uh, I would like to move quickly, but it's a complicated subject and it will, which will, will involve more departments than mine. It's also going to involve the departments of education, health and probably social welfare. And I don't think it would be possible, even with the best will in the world, to move really quickly. There are, there are certain immediate reforms, I suppose, which could be introduced, changing the age of criminal responsibility, things like that. But to get to the heart of the heart of the problem will require large-scale reforms involving several departments. Is there anything that you could say at this stage that would you think will differentiate your Department of Justice from the Department of Justice we've just had? Well, I would like to think that uh, my approach will be one bringing in as much social reform into the uh, activities of the Department of Justice as possible, and uh, I'd like to see communication with groups which are interested in social reform, which affects the Department of Justice, and I think there'll be a difference there. Pat Cooney talking to Rodney Rice. With me now in the studio, Garrett Fitzgerald, incoming Minister for Foreign Affairs, Justin Keating, Industry and Commerce, Declan Costello, Attorney General. Garrett Fitzgerald, I suppose your choice as Foreign Minister was perhaps one of the most surprising things Mr Cosgrave announced today. Was it a surprise to you? Uh, well, first of all, you say it's surprising. It's only surprising, really, because the papers kept on saying that, of course, the Catholic Church would be financed. Anybody who asked me my view on it, as a few people did, I said that, that is not certain, that there are other possibilities, but nobody listened. They thought they knew best. That's not to say that I or any of us knew um, until relatively shortly before the government formed our particular post, because very properly the Taoiseach kept that as a matter for himself to decide and to decide at a, at a, at a, at a really not a late stage. How late? Oh, quite late. Today? <laughs> oh, yes. What about um, being foreign minister? Uh, what are your priorities there? I mean, you're settling down now, literally hours after being told this was the job you'd be tackling. It is um, perhaps a more important job than it has been, and there is yes. the nice point that W.T. Cosgrave chose your father as external affairs minister 50 years ago. Indeed, yes, I'm conscious of that. first administration. I was just thinking about that shortly after I was told about it. It's a, a pleasant coincidence, if that's the word for it. Well, as regards priorities... Um, the immediate, most immediate issue which concerns a foreign minister at this stage is, of course, the question of Northern Ireland, which is, as far as our dealings with Britain are concerned, is clearly in the foreign arena. And while this is a matter that, of course, the Taoiseach and Tony themselves will be particularly concerned with, um, as uh, foreign minister, I will also be involved there and I'll be concerned to contribute in any way I can. I have the, this advantage in this respect that, partly through being half Northern myself and and having many relatives there, I've spent a lot of time in the north, and in recent years have made, taken every opportunity to contact as many people as possible. Even yesterday I was in the north and meeting groups there, privately, just off my own bat, so as to be sensitive to the feelings of the different communities, and without even then knowing what my job was going to be, I felt I ought to spend my last free day <laughs> doing much, that. How much importance does your position uh, as Foreign Affairs Minister in Europe uh, have to do with the north? 
Well, it will have, but I was just I was coming to the EC side. The other side is, of course, the EC, which is very important in itself. Also important in relation to Northern Ireland, um, and I, I would hope that it will be possible uh, to help al- alleviate some of the tensions and resolve some of the problems there with assistance from the EC, and that's something which I, I hope you know we and the British will will find uh, common ground on in the period immediately ahead. But the EC itself, of course even quite apart from Northern Ireland, is immensely important to us. And quite apart from the economic aspect of it, the, the politi- also the political aspect, the importance of moving onwards to uh, an improvement in the structure of the European communities, to the democratisation of the institutions, moving on to direct elections, to greater powers for Parliament. Specifically just on Northern Ireland. I mean, yeah, sorry? It, it is generally, I think, accepted that, for instance, Mr Lynch and Mr Cosgrave share much the same analysis of that problem, and that perhaps yourself and Dr Chris O'Brien have a slightly different analysis of what the problem is in the first instance. Now, no, uh, well, if to say this, I, I fail to see the distinction in the analysis of the problem um, uh, at all. And in fact, you know, when we come to discuss what are the main uh, problems to be resolved and what, in fact, we should be looking for in the white paper, I, I don't think I find any difference uh, here as to, as to these priorities. Has there been any demarcation line about who should handle Northern Ireland? Did Mr. Cosby well, mention that? I think this is here? very much a matter for the Taoiseach himself, and I'm sure the Tornish also was with him in London. It's primarily their responsibilities. I only say that I hope as Foreign Minister to be able naturally to contribute to this, I, I must also be involved. And how can Europe help, do you think? Well, uh, in a variety of ways, more long-term than short-term, be it said. But um, I would hope that the Council of Ireland will have uh, important functions, in the first instance, certainly economic functions, and that among these will be regional policy, especially with regard to the West Ulster area, where there's a special regional problem arising from the fact that the border cuts between cuts Delhi off from its hinterland. That can only be resolved, first of all, by joint action of the two governments to get over the problems posed by the border in that area, and also because of the scale of the problems in West of Ireland generally, and more particularly in this area cut by the border, we, we will need assistance from the EC for this purpose. I, I would hope, and I was in Delhi a month ago at a conference discussing this, that it may be possible to help to resolve these problems, these economic problems, by some uh, development authority for the area working perhaps through the Council of Ireland to the EC uh, and with assistance from the EC. There are some questions there we obviously want to raise with Justin Keating as Industry and Commerce, but just before we do that, we have on the telephone uh, Richie Ryan, incoming Minister for Finance. Richie Ryan? Um, can I ask you this, Richie Ryan? Um, you're the first man who's going to be announcing a serious sort of policy statement as author of the budget in a very short period. Which of the many promises in your election campaign do you think you'll be able to include in that budget? Well, I think in our statement we made it clear what our priorities would be, and uh, any decisions taken now will, of course, be uh, collective responsibilities of the whole cabinet. But we would say the one of greatest interest will be the way in which we'll be spending the £30 million pounds which becomes available by reason of the uh, uh, need uh, no longer to pay the subsidies on agricultural produce. And we propose to spend this for considerable social improvement. Will you be able to take uh, VAT off food, do you think, that oh, yes, soon? VAT off food will certainly be done. This is a very simple exercise. Uh, we simply transfer the VAT on food. Social welfare? Social welfare will, of course, become the main beneficiary of this 30 million pounds that I've been talking about. And uh, we earmark 
marked in a very dramatic way the way in which we were going to use that 30 million pounds. As you know, that evoked uh, a response from the government who were concealing the fact that they had the 30 million pounds and we pointed out that it was there and how we proposed to spend it. Generally, how do you feel tonight? I mean, you're literally hours in the job, as it were. Well, um, one of the first words spoken to me by the outgoing minister, who I'm sure I meant it well, was he extended commiserations to me and uh, congratulations, which leads me to believe that uh, perhaps the government might have spent more money than uh, they had given us an indication in the past that they were spending. So it won't be uh, for some time before I know uh, just how much money there is there available from, from uh, public funds from the outgoing government. Richie Ryan, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the telephone. Thank you and good night. Justin Keating, on this very point, um, investment west of the Shannon, um, Gareth Fitzgerald was mentioning border areas specifically. I mean, there's good news tonight, for instance, from Donegal, isn't there? Yes, Though indeed. you can't claim credit for it, unfortunately, I'm sure, for you. <laughs> Um, but but in that in that border area generally, presumably that that's going to be a key area for industrialisation. Yes, I think the border area, but I think that the problems north to south, uh, all of the west of the country, regardless of which side of the border they are, have extraordinary similar problems. Uh, and I think that we're at a time when there is at least the promise of uh, serious. EEC developments in regard to regional policy, I think that these have to be greatly strengthened. I I think that this is at the very beginning. Uh, One hopes that there will be uh, real money there. Uh, But I think that there is, in my experience of this new government, uh, a great awareness of of the problems of regional development. There are uh, decisions to be made, I think, of a fairly clear kind Uh, which may not always be easy decisions, but which will have to be made about uh, the placing of centres of real industrial development. Mm. But I I think that, uh, you know, all of us that are here, and indeed the whole list of people that have been read out, are extremely new. We're we're rather dazed ourselves. Uh, And I I think that uh, we, I certainly feel a great sort of humility before the, the constructive tasks that now face us, I think we'll have to play ourselves in um, over coming weeks. I, I don't see any uh, very sudden or dramatic things. I think that the country wants some calm and some continuity now, and I, I think that that's the way we'll have to approach it. Is there any way at this very early stage that you can see that you would like to change the country's industrial policy away from where it's been going so far? Well, um, I think that the two threats that I see uh, in the area of my own new responsibility uh, are firstly the threat uh, of the inflation that we've been having, this this awful inflation, uh, which I think has been left to rage on uh, with too little control. Now, we're accustomed to thinking of inflation simply as depreciating the value of take-home pay and as putting people on fixed incomes at a great disadvantage. But the other very serious aspect of this inflation is that we become uncompetitive. Uh, And that is happening at a moment when there are major changes in world trade, when, for example, the Japanese who are in the process of being much less competitive in the United States are going to pile into Europe in a a hotly competitive way. Uh, So that I think 
the, from the industrial point of view, uh, both the question of prices and the question uh, of the very vigorous seeking of new investment and the generation of new jobs. Uh, it's not that I'm not suggesting that there hasn't been an effort in this direction, but I think it's a time when both these efforts, both on the prices front from the point of view of competitiveness and also on the new investment front, are extremely acute. Will you place the same em- emphasis on foreign investment as the previous government did? I think that uh, with a, an economy like ours, which is small and which is open and which is peripheral, uh, there will always be the need for foreign investment, both for money and also for know-how. There's no question about that. I don't think there's any controversy about that among any of the parties in Ireland. Uh, I think, though, uh, that if one takes an example like Italy, uh, Italy having severe difficulties with the, its membership of the EC, with its whole industrial development, uh, I, the, the argument from the Italian experience is that, that a, a, strong, a stronger public sector may be very important to us uh, in developing things that we don't currently have uh, in ensuring employment and in protecting the whole industrial development situation. What about mining both uh, on land and at sea? Have you had any thoughts about, about what to be do- can be done there to uh, get a better return for, uh, from our own resources? Uh, detailed thoughts, not. Uh, I emphasise again that, that uh, we are all very new. We are not, I'm certainly not familiar with the small print of the situation. Um, I think, though, that we have the good fortune of coming uh, into a time when there have been very significant uh, discoveries, for example, in the North Sea. Uh, I think one might look at the mistakes that the British have made, very serious mistakes the British have made in regard to North Sea resource development. One might also usefully look at what the Norwegians have done in a positive way uh, to protect national interest in regard to... uh, Possible developments both in the in the Celtic Sea and also in our whole continental shelf. Just the experience, yes, yeah, sorry. Just say that um, there's a great common ground between the you know, Finnegan and Labour parties on this. Uh, we at our last Ardesh adopted certain policies in regard to mining, which I think are, could make considerable changes here, which are very much in line with what Justin mm-hmm. Keating is saying. I think we can work very fruitfully on this and together. The, and I think the experience of other countries has shown that you, you don't frighten the, the mining companies away by saying you want to renegotiate certain contracts. Yeah, well, of course, yeah, as well as that, the whole uh, oil and natural gas uh, side, nothing has started at all. It's open to us now to decide the terms on which we will give any concessions, and they're going to be um, well, better terms than English have negotiated with themselves anyway. Declan Costello, as incoming Attorney General, what's your response? What was your first response when you were invited to, to that post? Can I ask you that? Well, I was <coughs> very pleased indeed to be part of this team. I think it's a very good team. I think we're facing a very exciting time in government, a fruitful time in government, and I was very glad to be given an opportunity to take part in, in, in the work. I'm reminded of what Pat Cooney said in the interview earlier with what's being said around this table in general. I'd like to move quickly, but it's very complicated. Isn't this really what happens somebody when you're highly critical of an existing status quo and you move into government and you want to get things done, you're impatient to see changes, but it's complicated? Well, I think that's so. I think uh, Pat was absolutely right. He was a realist. And one of the things, and not just Ireland, it happens in every country, the opposition comes in and they suddenly find that all the great problems that uh, arise in actually being in government, the problems of the administration, of moving a large administration, and we accept and we realise that these problems exist. But at the same time, I think we've given a great deal of thought to the responsibilities which we're taking on. And I'm very happy with the... 
ideas that have been worked out in, in opposition, and I think they can be put into, into operation. Uh, accepting the problems that we're going to face, accepting the great administrative difficulties that face any reforming government, but uh, notwithstanding these, I think we're going to be able to overcome them. You have a lot of, sort of you're going for you in the sense that you are going to be a full-time Attorney General. It's not going to be a part-time job. Now, there's a lot of patronage in the law library and all of that. It's a bit of a mystery to the man outside of that world, but from what one hears... It's a world of patronage and so on. What changes will come about in the law library when well, I, and I think that this has been very badly abused in the past. I think the aim should be to get the very best possible talent available for in every sphere of government, in every sphere of the public service. And this would apply in the law as well as in every other aspect of administration. Can I raise a general point? Mr Cosgrave today mentioned the fact that perhaps he didn't mention the word pressure groups, but I think he was talking about them, vocational groups, trade unions. You know, they had been critics of our society and he would hope that they would share in the ongoing debate about what could, could be done to see changes. Now, you have a lot of goodwill, obviously, going for an incoming government. Uh, generally, uh, how long do you think that will last and, and how long would it be before you have to deliver something? Can I put that generally to you all? Well, I may, actually, there are a number of things we'll be delivering very quickly. Uh, as Richard Ryan was just saying, I think that we couldn't hear it here, but <laughs> or hear it very well. Uh, we, we'll have our, our budget, which will deliver on some of the commitments um, entered into uh, in, in the election campaign. So I think that will be a first instalment. Um, but I think the goodwill will last if we do as we intend to do, and that is uh, proceed with our plans and bring people into consultation, effective consultation. I know, of course, that these consultations are going to show up conflicts between interest groups, and uh, these, the reconciliation of these is going to leave somebody dissatisfied. But if there is real consultation, and we do attempt to govern in this direct democratic way that Mr. Cosby spoke about, I think we can maintain that goodwill for a very long time to come. I think it was a very important part of Mr. Cosgrave's speech, yes. this, this, this part. I think it's, 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 it's emphasising an approach of government which has been lacking in this country. And, uh, of course, again, we mustn't uh, underestimate the difficulties because every group of people that comes in, be it the representative of tenants associations, be it representative of farmers groups, they, they have their own point of view. But I think the point is that this is a small country we must take the advantages of our size. Mm. Uh, the uh, groups of people are, by and large, reasonable groups of people. If the government meets them and it is seen to be prepared to listen reasonably to them, I think we're going to get out of this cooperation uh, a great deal for the country. Yes, I think that there's a, a formulation in your question, John Bowman, which is a little bit from the past. I hope it's from the past in this sense that there is a counterposing of government and people. Now, a government really, I think, is a catalyst. The number of people are few, but what they can do is to generate an environment in which the real creative energy of the whole country is released. I feel very strongly that at this moment in Ireland there's a tremendous upwelling of creative energy in the public service and in the population as a whole. I think that, for example, the response to the 14 points, uh, the response to the offer of a choice of government, of a change by a real alternative, was proof of the sort of creative energy that, that I believe is there. And it's not just that we have to deliver. We do, of course, have to deliver. But we have to structure a situation in which the whole country can deliver for all of us. In other words, the 
genius and the vigor and the wish for change that exists, I believe, very much in the public service and in the people at large, uh, can be released, I think, by imaginative policies. But the other thing that we can do is that if we have the sort of openness, the sort of even a little bit self-confidence, the sort of willingness to listen, um, then it isn't government versus people, but government with people. I think there was a little bit at some stage in the last government of what I think of as a siege mentality on the part of ministers. They were a bit afraid to bring people in, to listen to them, to say, let's do it together. Uh, I think that, in fact, the key to our success will be precisely to work with all the interest group groups and to release the real creative energy that I very strongly feel exists in the country now. Well, Justin Keating, would you like to see the Labour Party, therefore, from what you're saying, submerged in the government, or would the Labour Party have something specific to contribute? Yes, I'm absolutely satisfied that we're not submerged at this moment. I think it's, to me, a very good evidence that the Taoiseach is determined to have all the interests represented uh, in the, the government that's been drawn up. I think that, that he's been very fair to the Labour Party, and I think that we are pleased with the result of this government formation. This is the first thing to say. Um, the second thing is that if one looks on coalition as a reasonable form of government, which I do, it seems to me desirable that different outlooks uh, and different interests group, interest groups should be represented in the government. Uh, I don't think that we are going to have a fusion. I think we are going to retain our different points of view. What I think we are going to have is a real dialogue and, and a fruitful cooperation. And I think if one, as I'm at this moment doing, looking at the list of people who have today, in the very recent past, been given their seals of office, I think there's the evidence of that sort of fruitful attention with cooperation. Well, we have an interview which has just uh, come in with the incoming Minister for Local Government, another Labour TD and Deputy Leader of the Party, indeed, James Tully, to whom Rodney Rice spoke just after Mr. Tully left Orson before he returned to Meath. Mr. Tully, what would you see as the priority in local government? Oh, I think the priority in local government is housing and all, that the, uh, all the matters attached to housing. Well, will you be declaring a housing emergency as a first... Uh, well, of course, I haven't. I've only been appointed less than an hour ago, and uh, would have to have a look at what's happening in there first. I don't know, but just off the top of my head, I would say that housing would be the, the seem to be the most important matter. Which I would think that will be taking up most of your time for the moment. Uh, well, no, I, I couldn't say that. I will have to look and find out what exactly is happening. But from what from outside, it does appear as if as if the main priority uh, would be housing. But when I look at the department, it may. I may change my mind. What about the removal of the health charges from the rates? Will that be taking up a lot of your time? Ah, uh, it shouldn't. It's a simple matter. And is it going to be like that? Just get uh, them well, off? Well, it's a promise of the government. Uh, that over a period of four years, the health charges will be removed from the rates and uh, anything we promise, we carry out. Now, what about local government reorganisation? Do you think that, that that's going to happen very soon? Ah, uh, well, it, it, local government reorganisation must take place, but it can't. It, it can't be done. We don't. You don't have instant government like that, you know. But uh, uh, that again is something which it would be unfair of me to, to pass a comment on without actually seeing 
how bad it is because I believe it may be pretty bad. Do you have any thoughts yourself about local democracy? You've been a county councillor for some time. What exactly mean by local democracy? The right of the local authority to, to have a say in the running of his own affairs. I'm a Democrat. and I believe that uh, there should be a democratic rule as far as possible. By elected, representative, by elected representatives. So you don't think that there'll be any cutting away of the powers of local authorities? Uh, my personal view at the present time is that I don't think so. I think the majority of the people of this country did not go with the last government's decision to change certain uh, um, aspects of local authority, and I believe that uh, uh, we will carry out what we believe the majority of the people of the country want. Now, what about constituency reorganisation? That is... Uh, one of your areas. Uh, I believe it will be one of the one of the uh, matters which will have to be dealt with. But I honestly believe that uh, it will be the task of the new government to carry out constituency organisation in accordance with the uh, needs of the uh, constituencies, not uh, uh, as a political matter. Uh, I think it would be, uh, um, while naturally uh, the uh, areas uh, will have to be closely examined. Uh, I think the government, again, having and had an opportunity of seeing what's to be done and what has been prepared, and I believe that a certain amount of material has been prepared, will decide in the best interest of the country what is the best representation, the best way to give representation to uh, the various constituencies. Well, a recent Minister for Local Government, Mr Kevin Boland, said that when he reorganised constituencies, it was for political gain. Now, at that time, the 1969 election, the Fianna Fáil party did very well in the three-seat constituencies, do you think that you may abolish three-seaters or have more of them or what? Well, again, it would be almost impossible to tell you that. I, I couldn't say as of now. I, it was rather a pity that uh, Mr. Boland uh, decided, uh, didn't decide that it was for political gain until uh, he saw it afterwards. Or if he had made that comment earlier on, perhaps an awful lot of the things which had happened in the meantime might never have happened. Would there be any possibility of an independent commission? Uh, on, on as a government decision which I couldn't make. At the moment, you're going to get on with your housing. Um, in the moment, I'm going to get on with running the Department of Local Government. James Tully. Uh, arising, Justin Keating, from what you were saying just before we went to that interview, um, you, you, I think, are on record as saying there are very few problems in Ireland that couldn't be solved by harnessing the technology of the 20th century and, and getting that to work for us. Now, can I put that question to you generally? Do you think we, you can now, in government, in industry and commerce, for instance, do you think you can begin applying that particular lesson? Yes, well, you know, by training and, and by outlook, I'm um, originally a scientist. Um, I believe in technology. Uh, I believe also uh, in getting people with expertise in a particular area and listening to them. Um, but all one can say about that on our first day of government uh, is that I believe it's possible and we will be judged by whether it is or not uh, and, and that if it is possible, uh, then the people will see the results coming out and they will approve accordingly. But it's, it isn't an area where it's any use making promises. That we're in the action business now yes. and we deliver or not. So if we talk about a style of government, Eklund Costello, then it's, it's consulting experts and uh, consulting pressure Pe groups. And people, consulting people. Yes. This is Absolutely. how I would see this government working. I would, see, I would like to see outside experts coming in, assisting the government, working with the experts in the departments. I'd like to see outside groups of concerned people who, as Mr. Cosgrave said, who are interested in various aspects of social reform being brought in to give their views. This is the style of government that I think we're going to have. We could add to that, I think, that another aspect of the style of government would be that the role of the minister would be much more important than it has been for some years past, that 
I can see ministers really being involved in formulating policy and taking decisions, which of course, I'm afraid, hasn't been the case, um, and working together in teams and committees and subcommittees of cabinet on particular problems, um, with the impetus coming uh, from the members of the government in consultation with the different groups in society. Uh, and this will be a very, well, unbureaucratic system of government, the antithesis, really, of, of a bureaucratic system. Gentlemen, thank you all for joining us and congratulations on your posts announced today. We wish them well in a general way, said the Leader of the Opposition, Jack Lynch, today. He promised what some thought to be virtually a bipartisan policy on Northern Ireland in the remarks he made on the forthcoming British White Paper. Certainly there was little difference between what Mr Cosgrave and what Mr Lynch said on the North to the House today. But what are Fianna Fáil in opposition, taking their seats now to the right of the Count Corla? I spoke at Leinster House to two outgoing ministers, Desmond O'Malley, and first to Sean Flanagan, outgoing minister for lands. What I asked Mr Flanagan was the mood of the Fianna Fáil party today. But it's very good, in fact, uh, very optimistic. And indeed, uh, being in opposition is not necessarily a bad thing for particularly the younger deputies who have never been in opposition at any stage in their lives. In fact, uh, I was in opposition myself in 1954 to 1957, but I think only the Taoiseach and Erskine Childers uh, were in opposition, having had experience in government at any level. What sort of opposition do you think Fianna Fáil will be? Well, I think, as the Taoiseach said today, you know, that we're prepared to give the incoming government a reasonable chance to... Um, a reasonable time in which to gather themselves together and try to put the um, policy which they enunciated to the people in operation. I, I, I must say on this that I was impressed over the election campaign about the growth of a new tolerance and forbearance in public life, which is badly needed and has been badly needed all along. And I would like you to know that we do wish this government well from the point of view of the body politic and the point of view of the nation, because after all, Ireland and the nation are the important things. At this particular time, that's the sort of uh, note which Mr Lynch struck today. Now, he also went nearly as far as saying that there'd be a bipartisan policy towards Northern Ireland. As oh, long yes. As, do you oh, think that's likely? Oh, yes. I should, I should very much hope so. And what In fact, I, I, I think it's not merely likely, I think it's certain. What about the Republican wing of Fianna Fáil? Do you think they will tolerate Mr Lynch backing Mr Cosgrave? Yes, I do. I think that the vast majority of the people who are Fianna Fáil support the Taoiseach, support the government stand, support us in a bipartisan attitude towards our friends and neighbours in the North of Ireland. Still, there is a significant wing of the party, a minority, admittedly in the parliamentary party, which don't support that position. I think it's a very tiny minority. In fact... I, I don't know that it exists, really. I, and I think that there was a certain amount of emotionalism born of um, good, uh, you know, good-hearted attitude, perhaps, if you like, but a certain amount of emotionalism involved. But um, I, I, I believe that that wing is such that it doesn't deserve the word, or the wing at this stage, that it doesn't really exist. Um, still, I, I, I insist that it, it is there, obviously. It, it numbers, arguably, according to the commentators, 10 or 12 Fianna Fáil deputies. Now, if um, Mr Lynch is seen to back uh, Cosgrave and Corish in whatever line they take towards the white paper, do you not think it's likely that that wing will be heard from? Well, I should, I, I should put it the other way, really, because the, uh, don't forget that the uh, policy that's there is the policy of Jack Lynch and of his government, and it's a question of... What attitude will the new Taoiseach, Tarnasche, and their government take to the White Paper? The Fianna Fáil stand 
is very clear, Taoiseach stand, government stand. And uh, if, as the, Taoiseach, uh, the former Taoiseach suggested, if um, Fine Gael and the new coalition uh, take substantially the same line, then they will certainly have our support. And uh, I do not envisage any uh, difficulty with uh, any of the backbenchers in the parliamentary party on this. Mr Sean Flanagan, outgoing Minister for Lands. Earlier this evening I also spoke to Mr Desmond O'Malley, outgoing Minister for Justice. Mr O'Malley, what of the Fianna Fáil backbenchers on the Northern Ireland question? Do you think there's likely to be dissent from Mr Lynch's position if he attempts a bipartisan policy with, with the coalition? Uh, well, first of all, I'm not uh, certain that he will attempt a bipartisan policy because uh, uh, I don't know what... We, we don't know what uh, policy the uh, coalition will take in regard, for example, to the white paper. But um, I, I see no reason to believe there'll be any dissent uh, among backbenchers on the policy which Mr Lynch eventually takes up uh, when we see this. But looking at what's on the record, what Mr Cosgrave has put on the record and what Mr Lynch has put there, there seems to be little disagreement between them on, on that front. Uh, as of today, yes. but both uh, Mr Cosgrave, presumably, and Mr Lynch don't, don't know what, uh, uh, in fact, uh, the British government are going to propose uh, in relation to Northern Ireland at the moment. But do you think there will be a temptation for Fianna Fáil to attempt to use the Northern Ireland question as a, a point of growth in opposition to the National Coalition? Uh, not necessarily. If we disagree with them, certainly we'll oppose them. But uh, we're, we're not going to uh, seek to oppose them just for the sake of opposition. But is there dissent, do you think, from the backbenches, from Mr Lynch's policy? And do you think that's likely to express itself more in opposition than it did in government? I don't think there's dissent. Uh, um, if, if, if there was, uh, it uh, already had its opportunity to... Uh, express itself, and I think the electorate dealt with that situation uh, in the in the election. If you are shadow minister for justice, um, what particular attitude do you, do, do you intend adopting towards uh, Mr. Cooney, the incoming minister? Well, of course, I don't know what attitude Mr. Cooney will adopt, so therefore I can't uh, say what uh, attitude I'll adopt. But Mr. Cooney will have my uh, support and cooperation uh, in so far as I. Uh, think that it is proper that he should have it, but I, I find it. Um, I, I can't help remem uh, remembering uh, the attitude taken up by Mr. Coney, for example, as recently as uh, the 30th of November, 1st of December, in relation to the offences against the state bill, which he and Mr. Ryan, who is now Minister for Finance, uh, and uh, among many others, uh, expressed in. Uh, opposed in very extravagant terms and uh, I'd be interested to see what their opposition is now once they uh, no longer uh, are an irresponsible opposition. Uh, I hope for the country's sake that uh, there'll be a responsible government. Mr Lenehan said, um, Brian Lenehan said to us a month ago, a little more, that Fianna Fáil would make a great opposition party. Would you share that view? I would think so. Uh, it, it's, of course, a new experience for a great many of us, uh, not least myself, and uh, we'll probably take some time to get adjusted to it, but I look forward to it very much indeed. Will you miss the Mercedes? No, I won't uh, miss the Mercedes because uh, what I look forward to missing is uh, what went with it. 
ex-Minister for Justice, Mr Desmond O'Malley. Finally, with us tonight at panel, Brian Farrell, Political Science, UCD, lecturer in Political Science, Michael Mills, Political Correspondent of the Irish Press, Michael McInerney, Political Correspondent of the Irish Times. Michael McInerney, one point, by the way, are you publishing tomorrow, Michael? Oh, yes. The Irish, uh, Times, is, uh, yeah. the Irish Times will be out in the morning. That's one piece of news. Generally, gentlemen, your reactions to the Cabinet today, was it a surprise, Michael McInerney? Well, I somehow expected something better from the Cabinet because of the earlier signs from Mr Cosgrave, first of all, in agreeing that Labour should get five uh, cabinet seats and two parliamentary secretaries. And secondly, because Mr Cosgrave had taken with him to London uh, Mr Corish Tonister and leader of the Labour Party. And I thought that there were were these and other signs that we were going to get a, a government of all the talents Well, what we've got today is a compromise, uh, a government of of talent, I think, blended with experience, perhaps a blend of of youth and age to some extent. Uh, And perhaps this is the best way of doing it, because there will be some form of confrontation, I think, in this government between some of the more traditional Fine Gael members of the government, some of the more... uh, uh, social democratic wing of the party, there also, I imagine, be confrontation, though not uh, serious disagreement or difference, uh, between men like, say, Dr. Conor Cruz O'Brien and uh, Mr. Justin Keating, whose ideas are certainly innovating and and, uh, and new. Uh, They would like to see what O'Casey once called a carnival of thought, Uh, because this is what the country needs at the moment, faced with a national crisis, an economic crisis, social crisis, and to some extent a political crisis. I'm not saying that there's genius in this government, but I think there's the potential for really good thinking on serious matters. Brian Farrell, do you expect confrontation within the Cabinet, or is it too early to start speculating about that? I think it is very early. The thing that pleases me most of all, I must say, I suppose it's a personal prejudice, is to see that the old uh, notion that you had to spread the patronage in some geographical way obviously isn't proved. We're now in a situation where between Tom O'Donnell in Limerick and Tom Fitzpatrick in Cavan, the whole of that western and northwestern corner, there isn't a minister. And I don't think this is any particular virtue of the new cabinet. I think if you examine Irish cabinets in the past, you will find that this emphasis on a geographical distribution of patronage uh, doesn't stand up. And I think what, what you're getting now is very much a cabinet in the Irish pattern, and I feel this is something worth saying. I think any assumption that we're going to walk into paradise tomorrow morning because we've got a new government flies in the face of the Irish political experience. As a people, over a 50-year period, we haven't expected that heaven's going to happen because we change our votes this way or that. We do expect incremental change. We do expect improvement. I think also we expect that if that improvement doesn't come, that we're going to be in a position to put this government out. Well, will it be a honeymoon, Michael Mills? Do you think there are, generally there's a lot of goodwill towards this incoming government, perhaps? Um, I mean, within pressure groups, for instance, within people arguing for change, now they see many of their fellow critics of the outgoing government, fellow critics of society, in, in government. Do you expect there will be uh, difficulties which will arise and what sort of timescale? There will be difficulties. Uh, there will be no honeymoon. But the point is that people voted for change, people voted for a coalition government. 
They voted for, for what could possibly be an exciting time in politics. And it's interesting to hear people like Pat Cooney and Gareth Fitzgerald and Declan Costello and Justin Keating now talking about the reforms that they would like to see implemented. For example, Pat Cooney mentioned the, 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 the immense area of child welfare. There are so many areas that need reform without even the expenditure of money. I mean, our, our society has over the years become slightly sick. And uh, people like Pat Cooney and Gerald and Declan Costner, I would hope, would, would help to reform it to a certain extent, to remove some of the sickness from it. When you think, for example, of, of widows, for example, with estate duties, now the situation has improved enormously over the years. But certainly when you think of widows having to sell their house and so on, and, and, or go mortgage, mortgage their house in the bank, in order to pay off a debt at a time when their husband has been removed from them, the breadwinner is removed from the house. When you think of families being split up, for example, children being sent away to homes, and the money expended on keeping those children in homes could logically be spent one-fifth of it, perhaps, one-quarter of it, on, on, on the widow at home to keep the family at home. These are areas that don't require any expenditure of money. They simply require a bit of common sense on the part of people, legislators. I think, I, I would hope that we're in for an exciting period in government, and I hope it's, we won't be let down in, in, in this. I sincerely hope that, because if we're let down, well then, I mean, a lot of our hopes, you know, for changes that will have been dashed. One but, of, but on the other hand, is, is it's not, the priorities are not just social services alone, I think. This government is coming into a situation which is almost unparalleled in the kind of national crisis it faces, just about a week or ten days before the, the, the white paper. And I think in, in that regard, it can be regarded as one of the best governments we could have to face this situation, because I don't see any difference, real difference in policy between any of the members of this government in relation to that question. Are, are you saying, Michael McInerney, that there will almost certainly be a real bipartisan um, approach between the two parties? Well, I, I, I believe that this government will even adopt a more pro-Lynch line than Mr. Lynch himself, because uh, they won't have the tail that Mr. Lynch had in the Fianna Fáil party to cause them headaches. They can be far more, uh, they can be far more aggressively, aggressively is the wrong word, but far more seriously uh, uh, in tune with Lynch's policy than Lynch himself, than the Fianna Fáil government. I really believe that this is so. That but there's on, on that a point, great kind of community of ideas between people like Keating, O'Brien, uh, uh, Declan Costello, uh, Gareth Fitzgerald, and Liam Collier. That remains true. Sorry, Brian Farrell. That remains true. And yet the, the tail on Mr Lynch's party, the Republican wing, does represent a considerable number of people. Now, they will be facing now a, the treaty party's I, historically... I question, I question considerable number of people. Well, I think the question here at issue, if I might interrupt John, is this. If one listened carefully to what Mr Lynch said today, I don't think there has ever been quite such a, an opening statement by a new leader of the opposition. Agreed, right. He began by putting up his flag. He began by saying, I am not going to use the northern issue. I am not going to use national security. I am not going to use Anglo-Irish relations as some kind of bludgeon to beat this government. Now, that was not a challenge across the House. That was a challenge to his own backbenchers. If there is going to be any sort of difficulty with what people broadly call dissident Fianna Fáil or they call the Republican wing or they call uh, the extremists or you can use whatever set of terms you want, that is going to be a problem for Mr Lynch to cope with. And I think it's somewhat indicative tonight uh, that Mr O'Malley seemed to be very slow in his interview with Rodney Rice uh, quite to go along the whole way. Or was it with you, John, that he was talking? He seemed to be slow to go the whole way. And I think that one has to recognise this, that 
What we are now seeing is a great maturing in Irish politics. And what I think, I believe, many people are asking of this new government isn't the change that they, the people, want, because they, the people, very often can't articulate what they want, but they are saying to this new government, we know we need a new Ireland, let you give it to us, let you do some of our thinking for us, let you give us leadership. Now, if the government fails in that, if it fails to create in this part of the country the kind of society that we can be proud of and that can attract our compatriots in the north, that becomes their failure. This is the task we are putting on them. But the coalition have some backbenchers. I mean, for instance, David Thornley might dissent from the government line uh, on the white paper. Sure, so name a second. Well, there's Neil Blaney on the opposition. Or but he's not on the government. But I think it's significant, you see. You can pick out individuals. I could pick out individuals in, 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 in the Labour bench. I could pick out individuals in the Queen of Forward benches. But the point is, I think it's significant. The Jack Lynch's speech today, the first speech he's made as leader of the opposition, was a thoroughly statesmanlike speech. And that he chose, from the very earliest part of that speech, to emphasise the white paper and what he was looking for in the white paper, and that Liam Quasar immediately afterwards emphasised almost the same things. The fact now, remains, the gentlemen, there's one very important point here. The fact remains that if the parameters within which Dublin can pursue policy on the white paper are limited, and I think you probably all would agree that they are, it is in one sense easier for Jack Lynch to deliver such a policy than it is for the historically treaty parties. No, I think... Let's be very clear about this. It's not anymore. The the amount of influence that the southern part (coughs) of this country can have on events in the north is excessively limited. What we can do to influence events in the north is to do things about the quality of life in the south. Now, this we've neglected... And this has been a problem for successive governments. For 50 years, we have been satisfied with things as they are. We have been satisfied to fall back. We entered a post-war world in which we were the only country in Europe, virtually, saved from war, not committed to vast expenditure. And what did we do in the post-war period? And we did it under a variety of governments. We ran downhill. Now, we can't afford to do that anymore. The the trick, and it's more than a trick, the real achievement, in realising Irish unity, in realising the great thing that people talk about, a community of hearts, a coming together of people, is to provide a quality of life in this part of the country that people will want, that we ourselves will want, that will stop immigration for us because it's worth having. And that's an enormous task for government. And much better get involved in that, doing the things that are within our competence and forgetting the rhetoric. Michael, I think think that Mr Lynch's speech today gives a kind of window into his thinking that while he was a member of the government, he was unable to come out so strongly on that policy while in government. And now that he's going to do quite a job in government to convert his, his own people to that, and we might even see him trying to do something of the things that Brian wants, changing, helping them to help the government to change the character of society that we've got down here. Michael Mills, the coalition parties since the election was, was announced have been pretty quiet about the Constitution. Would you expect them to take any advanced steps about that and change it? Not immediately, no. I couldn't see that happening immediately. I could see it happening in a much more... Uh, in the next, say, couple of years, I could see, for example, Declan Costello as Attorney General, for example, turning his thought to some changes in the Constitutional 
And I could see the Minister of Justice, Paddy Cooney, also turning his mind to changes in the Constitution. But would they be expected to headline their, their, their attitude towards it in the coming future? And I wouldn't think so, because the point is, and this was emphasized by both the leader's speech, the, the T-shirt which named Cosgrove and the leader of the opposition, as now Jack Lynch, was the emphasis on the white paper. The white paper is going to be the immediate concern of this country, because on it may depend the future of whether we're going to have peace or war in this country. And it's, it, it, it is significant that both leaders stressed the... the in, the, in their speech today, that a white paper must contain the, the, the process for reconciliation and conciliation in the North of Ireland. By the way, it's political will that's required sometimes to change the constitution. And inter-party government changed the constitution in 1948 without having a referendum at all by describing the state as the republic. And uh, Liam Cosgrove today, the new Taoiseach, talked about creating new ministers of state which is forbidden by the Constitution, but there's going to be some way of getting over that. And more than that, of course, it's the will of the people. It's not the will of the leaders. Jack Lynch, over this last half-dozen years in government, has been an exceptional reflector of the Irish people's will, with lots of ambiguities built in. The question now that's going to be asked, is going to be asked of the Irish people, not just of the Irish political leaders, confronted with a white paper next week. How far are you prepared to live with this? How far are you prepared to try? How much are you prepared to forget and how much will you do? Finally, in one word, Brian Farrell, you've studied Irish political leaders, the first five leaders of government we've had. Will Liam Cosgrave be a chairman, do you think, or a chief? Chief. On that point, gentlemen, Brian Farrell, Michael McInerney, Michael Mills. You surprised me with that answer, by the way. Uh, We leave it. Thanks to Rodney Rice and to all those others who joined this programme, this special uh, edition of uh, this current affairs program on the opening day of the 20th oil. Good night. Good morning. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.